Welcome to the I Am Podcast. My name is Carl Weaver, and I am the website content manager at I Am. If you have any suggestions for the I Am Podcast, you can email me at carl.weaver at iamovers.org. Please subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Spotify. Thank you for being with us again. This is episode 17. I never thought we'd get here. When we started this podcast, it was just something I, you know, I, I decided to do. And now we're up to episode 17. And we're actually going into season two in the new year. This is the last episode of the year. And today's episode, I hope you'll really enjoy it. I'm talking with Adam Lowy of Move for Hunger. I'm talking to Steve Cox, who's IEM's finance guy. And we also have a number of wishes for uh, the new year from the various IEM staff members. So, again, I think this is going to be an interesting episode for you. Here we go. IEM will be closed for part of the holiday season. We will be closed on... December 24th, and will reopen on January 4th. I'm joined today by Adam Lowy of Move for Hunger. Thanks for joining me today, Adam. Happy to be here. Yeah. So what I wanted to talk about with you is sort of the the journey, the genesis of Move for Hunger, what you guys do, um, maybe where you're going, and the impact you've had, and, and of course, the need. You know, what, what's the need today for... Well, let's start out with what do you guys do? You can explain that. Then we'll talk about the need because it'll make more sense that way. You got it. So uh, Move for Hunger is a national nonprofit organization uh, that really mobilizes and leverages transportation resources to reduce food waste and fight hunger. Um, I started the organization 11 years ago with my family's moving company. I've uh, been in the moving business for almost 100 years now. Great grandpa started the company, um, which uh, I... Uh, got to work on the moving trucks growing up. Um, I got off of the moving trucks and thought I'd left the industry forever. Uh, but as many uh, within this industry know, it, it kind of sucks you back in. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I think if I didn't enjoy the people so much, um, because there's some really, really amazing people in, in the moving and relocation industries, uh, maybe I would have ended up saying, you know, this isn't going to be my path. But uh, growing up, I think I got I got to experience some of that firsthand, um, and and now now I'm stuck with it. You guys can't get rid of me. <laughs> <laughs> so you said you thought you might be out of it, like you might say you know just follow a different path. What was that path you started down? Yeah, so um, I graduated college uh, with a degree in marketing. Uh, I interned for MTV uh, at the time, um, and I graduated in '08, which similar to today was probably the best time to go out and look for a job. You know, economies in the tank, uh, there's not a lot of people hiring. Um, so my, my job at MTV was, was not to be. Um, I went back onto the moving truck for the summer and then I did end up getting a job for a marketing agency. And um, the client was Mercedes-Benz and they put me in charge of their sports marketing. Uh, and I got to go to the Masters, the US Open, um, we did Fashion Week. I knew nothing about cars or golf, mind you. Um, the first tournament I went to was the Masters with a Golf for Dummies book, where I followed around Tiger Woods um, so the VIPs could watch him putt and drove around cars 
uh, for the president of Mercedes that like they'd only made three of. So it was it was a ridiculous first job out of, of college. Um, and I really did enjoy it. I learned a lot. But at some point, I felt like I was just setting up golf tournaments for rich people. And um, that just really wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. But very grateful for the experience. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a, a really fun job, especially as a first job out of college. But and I can un- I, I, I relate to that, though. You know, you're it's great to, you know, rich people need help, too. they do and you know i see that the cool thing i mean the the agency was really creative really innovative and when you think about a brand a global brand like mercedes and also a german brand where everything needs to be perfect um that really instilled i'd say a lot of skills um that i still use today within move for hunger so i i gleaned a lot i stole a lot of processes uh when you think about like how you're going to build and scale and, and communicate um, so that, that first job did really teach me a lot. Yeah. But eventually you made your way back to the movie industry. And how did you come to uh, dream up this idea of Move for Hunger? Yeah. So, you know, I was, I was talking to my, my dad and my uncles and, you know, they, they actually even still run the moving company today. And, um, you know, we, we were just thinking, you know, when people move, they throw away a whole bunch of stuff. We see it happen in every move, food, clothing, furniture, um, and my, my family's always been pretty charitable. They'll donate trucks from time to time. They'll donate boxes, always trying to help locally. And what bothered us eventually was just the food that was getting left in the cupboard or thrown in the trash. And you know, when the sales guys and when the moving crews were going out on the move, it was probably one of the most common questions that came up too, like, what should I do with my food? Um, so we started asking people, would you like to donate your food when you move? Um, we'll pick it up, we're there anyway, and then we'll bring it to the local food bank, which is right down the street. Uh, I knew nothing about charity. I knew nothing about hunger, food waste. If you asked me 11 years ago if I'd be running a nonprofit organization, I would have told you you were out of your mind. Um, but we saw the response from people. Um, people wanted to help. People wanted to do good. And, and we realized that if we made it really easy, um, in this case, bringing a food drive into someone's living room, people are gonna take that opportunity to help their neighbor. And not only that, for the moving company, it almost became a sales tool, right? This was a marketing piece. Hey, we're trying to close the, the, the sale. We're out there on the estimate. Our pricing might be similar to some of the other guys, but hey, you know what? We're gonna do something that makes you feel good. Here's another reason to feel good about working with our company. So while that wasn't the reason, that wasn't the why, that was like an added bonus. And when you think about um, charity in my mind, or you think about solving problems, um, when times are bad, uh, oftentimes people pull back. Oh, we can't give to that, we can't donate right now. But if the thing that you're doing for the community is also driving your business, you're gonna double down on that. Um, and, and that's you know always been what we've thought about when we think about our partnerships and our relationships, if you can create something that is good for everybody, doing good is good for business, right? If you can create that win-win-win situation, then people will continue that even past the life of the organization. And that's how I feel, um, you know, we can really come together to solve problems. That's great. I read a book a number of years ago. Gosh, I can't remember the name. It was something like uh, The Soul of a Business. Mm-hmm. And it was by the guy who started Tom's of Maine. Turns out his name is Tom. I don't know if you know the brand, but um, 
he, it was all about this whole idea of doing well and doing good at the same time. It's very, very uh, moving book to read. But that's an awesome story. So, so you got the idea and then you started the 501c3 or do you, I guess you guys just started doing it. And then you said, Hey, there's a, we, we could do, we could have part of the company just doing this. doesn't make sense on a business end maybe, but for uh, charity, it certainly does make sense. So I, I quit my job, which all my friends thought I was out of my mind. My family was very supportive. Um, very fortunate. My dad said, you, you're on payroll for a year. He basically paid me what I was making at the other uh, company, the marketing company. And he said, I'll give you one year. If you really think that this can work, make it work, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not paying you. You've, you've graduated college, son. Like you're, you're <laughs> on your own, um, but, but very supportive. You know, he, he brainstormed with me. Uh, my uncle was obviously very involved too, but both uncles. I've got my dad and my two uncles that run the, the moving business. And I worked out of their conference room for the first year. And in our first month, just by asking a question, we collected 300 pounds of food. It brought that food to the food bank. I was super excited, um, but I'd also never been to a food bank before. Um, shame on me, but you know, I, I made it that far in life, 22 years of life. Um, I never volunteered at a food bank. And fortunately, I never was in a position where I needed the services of a food bank. So I really had no reason to go. Um, but I went there and I was excited about my donation. And I took a tour and they told me, I'm from Monmouth County, New Jersey. Um, they told me that there were 140,000 people in my county who didn't have enough to eat. Uh, and if you've ever been to Monmouth County, New Jersey, uh, it's home of the boss, Bon Jovi, the Jersey Shore. You look around, there's not a lot of poverty. Uh, there's not a lot of food lines. There's not a lot of homelessness. It's actually one of the more wealthy counties in the nation. Um, and I'd lived here my whole life and no one told me that there were 140,000 people struggling. And all of a sudden it became personal, right? Because a lot of times you think about poverty or hunger and you think about it being in a big city or maybe another part of the world. But when it's your community, oh man, like I, I almost got upset. And it, it was one of those things that like drove me to say, hey, if we can feed 300 people by doing a job, our job in a month, it's not like we were doing extra work. We're literally doing our jobs. Um, what happens when you get others involved? And, and really that was the genesis of, of how we began to grow. Um, and we started kind of forming relationships with the van lines and the moving associations. And, and I will say, you know, I think, I think because we had that history, I wasn't coming to people saying, hey, we're just this random charity. Don't get me wrong. We were a little bit of a random charity. We didn't exist, right? We're, we're nobody yet. Um, but, but at the time we were an agent and we're still an agent of Wheaton Worldwide Moving, the family's moving business. So we went to Wheaton and we talked to their CEO at the time it was David Witzerman, um, and, uh, their head of marketing who is actually now their president, AJ Schneider. And they were so welcoming. They helped us pilot it. We proved the model in different markets. And then from there, they helped make connections to other van lines and other associations and that's really how we be, began to grow organically. It was really about creating relationships with this industry. So creating a network rather than uh, doing it all yourself. That's great. Yeah, I, I tried the cold call thing. Everyone hung up on me. <laughs> well, no doubt. I mean, it, you know, it, it's like spam. No, I shouldn't say spam emails, but you know, like emails asking for money for this or that. 
well, if I don't know you and my friend's not introducing you, then I don't really want to hear from you. Exactly. And, and again, I think the moving industry, I said earlier, like it's made up of good people. Mm -hmm. um, most of the companies that we work with are not just involved with Move for Hunger. They're involved with a number of charitable initiatives or sustainable or green initiatives. Um, and that's, that's, I think, what I love about it. So, so while the reception was very welcome, it, it wouldn't work unless I had a Dave Witzerman then, you know, connect me to the head of Allied and North American. Or if uh, we didn't get uh, Pat McLaughlin on our board early on, who was basically the queen of the moving associations and uh, really helped build out. I mean, she's the one that introduced me to the International Association of Movers. Um, you know, I think we wouldn't be talking right now if, if it weren't for her. So those relationships early on were, were key. Oh, that's awesome. And so we, you, you mentioned IEM. I've heard of them before. Um, <laughs> Little organization. <laughs> yeah, we do a couple things. It's not much. Um, how long has IEM been involved with Move for Hunger? And I'm not trying to put you on the spot for like six years and three months. Or, <laughs> We've, no. So our organization has been around for 11 years. I think IEM has been with us for maybe nine of those 11 years. Um, and, you know, I think they probably would have joined us even earlier had they heard about us. Um, you, your association has been beyond welcoming. And I think the leadership um, from the past leadership with, with Terry to, to now Chuck and Brian, yourself, and really everyone running this, this organization, you guys got it really early, like just understood what we were trying to do. Uh, and I think the platform that the International Association Movers provided us early on also lent the organization some, some credibility. Again, we weren't really anybody in the beginning, um, but you get on stage in front of 2,000 plus moving companies um, to give out an award and talk about the why and the reasons that so many of your members are doing this. And IAM members, I'm, I'm looking at my numbers here, I think I've delivered more than 300,000 pounds of food this year alone. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing to see what you can do. Um, but again, the, the platform for us really helped us grow within your, within your membership. And I remember a couple of years ago, and I, I've been meaning to follow up uh, with you about this. A couple of years ago, you were talking about setting up shop also for uh, building a network like that in Canada and Australia. Did that come to fruition? So we built Canada. Uh, we've got an amazing, incredible network in Canada, um, and, and that continues to grow. Um, I am still very interested in Australia. I, I've learned over the years that it is really hard to... Uh, operate an NGO overseas. Um, there's just a lot of red tape. Uh, we're trying to figure out, I mean, now is not the best time to figure this out in a global pandemic, but we've had several conversations with some other organizations over there that might be able to take Move for Hunger almost as a program and let them kind of run with it. Um, to me, it's not about Move for Hunger, if you will. It's about a process. It's about how do we change the standard operating procedure of the moving, relocation, transportation industry, however you want to look at it, to ensure that we are recovering food and getting it to people in need? So I do still feel like there are ways that we can do this in Australia. And also a number of IAM members 
have come to me over the years and just said, hey, we're doing this. You know, we're doing this in Germany. We're doing this in, in you know, Central America. I'm like, great, here's, here's some of the resources you need. Like this is not proprietary information here to go help your community. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've always said, if people want to help, uh, whether, whether we're an official organization in another country or not, we want to be able to at least facilitate uh, the ability to help feed people. Is there any country you've come across where that this model that you have doesn't make sense? And what I'm thinking about is like in America, I'll, I'll go shopping like once a week or once every two weeks and just buy a whole bunch of canned goods and stuff. And that's not, uh, that's not common everywhere. You know, to, yeah, to do that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we as Americans, first of all, you know, we, we are the overbuyers. We are also one of the most wasteful nations. 40% of the food we produce in the United States ends up in landfills as opposed to 33% globally. I think the average American wastes 238 pounds of food per year, um, which is crazy <laughs> when you think about not only the, the amount of food that's going to a landfill, but also the amount of money that you spent on that food that is going to waste. Um, so, so yes, and while, while I can't pull up a specific country, it's not only due to the fact that um, non-perishable food might not, might not be as readily available as it is in the U.S., but also the, the network of food banks. Um, you know, we have a, a really great structure of food banks, um, not great in the sense that they exist, but great in the sense that they are everywhere. Um, we, have, we have hundreds of food banks across the nation and thousands of food pantries that end up uh, providing a lot of the distribution to people in need. That network is not as common um, in many other nations. Um, even, even really um, populated nations like, like a, a Great Britain, for example, like the food bank network there is nowhere near the same as what it is in a US, Canada, or Australia. That's, so we- that's why I had chosen those three when I thought about it originally, because it's got a really robust network to deliver food to. Yeah. So maybe in, in England, is it more, uh, more local uh, and maybe uh, attached to a church or? Yeah, or you'll see churches food. and soup kitchens and smaller pantries. Um, not, and, and again, not saying that it would not work there, no. um, but it might be a little bit harder to kind of build out the network. Um, because just like we built the network on the moving side here, we also had to build a network in relationships with all the food banks and pantries. Um, so we attended. There's food bank associations and conferences. We went to all those. We still go to all those. So, you know, we we work very closely in tandem so that if a food bank reaches out and says they need help, we can figure out how to get trucks um, to them in the most effective way possible. And so, what's what's the need here in America? I mean, I know that right now we have you know COVID going on. I mean, that's that's everywhere, but. Yeah, that's really put a, a big dent in things like uh, incomes for people. You know, people went from, you know, sometimes go from making a really nice income to, I don't have a job anymore. You know, and fortunately there's been this moratorium on uh, evictions in the U.S. for the most part. Uh, but what's, how is the, so we're looking at January 1st, that's going to end. You know, people probably getting evicted uh, and and still having rather high unemployment. What's the forecast uh, for the need for food right now? Yeah. Or is it so, just, oh my gosh, we need a lot? <laughs> um, I mean, unfortunately it is the latter. Um, pre-pandemic, there were 37 million Americans 
uh, that were food insecure, which means they did not know where their next meal was coming from. Um, so first of all, when we think about, oh, we need to get back to normal. No, normal was not good enough because there were 37 million Americans that didn't have enough to eat. That's, as a result, that's 10%. Yeah. Um, and as a result of this pandemic, the need in the US has increased by 17 million. So the, now there's 54 million Americans. Um, poverty, the poverty rate since this summer has increased two and a half percent, which is the greatest increase we've seen in the 60 years that has actually been recorded. Uh, the people that were struggling the most pre-pandemic, um, people of color who experienced hunger at twice the rate of their uh, uh, Caucasian counterparts, um, veterans, uh, the senior population, which is one of the fastest growing uh, populations of people in need. Students, believe it or not, college students are struggling too. Um, these populations um, are being hit the hardest because these are the people that were already struggling and now there's even less. And regardless of what political affiliation um, you subscribe to, we are not a political organization. Um, the fact remains that our country is in a depression right now. And we're probably going to be in some version of a depression or recession for at least the next two years um, before we can dig ourselves out of this hole. And it's not obviously just the US that's affected. I think we are affected the most in some ways um, due to the, the rapid uh, spread of COVID-19 here and just getting it over the virus myself <laughs> last week, I can tell you it's, it's not fun. Um, but um, when, when you look at this issue, it's, it's a global depression and it's gonna take a lot of new policy, new thinking, um, collaboration, not just to meet the need from a hunger standpoint, but to, to actually pull people out of poverty. Because when you think about hunger, hunger is actually just a symptom of poverty. And when you go and visit food banks, you work with organizations that are tackling these issues, they're not just there to give a handout. They're trying to figure out how do we get people back on their feet? Um, how, do we, how do we make it so people don't need to utilize the services of food banks? And unfortunately, um, our government, um, and again, across all administrations, we've relied so much on the nonprofit sector to solve the problem of poverty, um, we haven't focused enough on what are the policies that we need to put in place to lift people out. Listen, you talk to any hunger relief organization, myself included, if we didn't need to be doing this, we would do something else. <laughs> Trust me, as, as much as I didn't wanna be setting up you know, golf tournaments for rich people um, for my career, it was fun and I would happily do something like that again uh, you know, another, another time. But, uh, there, there is more demand now than there ever has been before. And talking to our counterparts at food banks, um, they're seeing increases 200%. Uh, they're seeing the people that are visiting the food banks are people that had never visited a food bank before in their lives. They never thought they'd be in these circumstances. And when you've got to choose between rent um, or food or medicine, uh, it's, it's almost impossible. It really is. Yeah, it really is. That's that's a terrible situation for, I mean, certainly our country and you know, the whole world. You know, it's things are really bad right now. Um, so, what are your hopes for twenty twenty one? And uh, I know, obviously, let's fix the uh, let's fix the poverty cycle, but uh, I I don't know if we're going to get there next year. 
so short of a, a vaccine for COVID, what are your hopes and plans, whether personally or for Move for Hunger? Yeah, so uh, COVID taught us and it probably taught uh, many of those that are listening here that you got to change, you got to adapt, you got you to gotta innovate to survive in this environment. Everything went virtual. We are an organization that organizes thousands of food drives each year. You know what? We weren't holding food drives for six months because you're not supposed to encourage people to gather. Um, we needed to change the way that we operated as well. Um, and a lot of the learnings that, that we had during this were actually really good. We found other ways to utilize our network. Um, we had moving companies uh, delivering food from food banks to emergency feeding sites. Uh, we got our moving and transportation partners more involved with farmers and gleaning to help rescue food from the farm before it goes to rot in a field. Um, I'm sure you saw some of those images in the news. It wasn't pretty. Uh, we started bringing in freight companies and refrigerated trucking companies um, that started getting involved with us for the very first time. Um, we're still doing what we do. We're still encouraging people to donate their food when they move. We've developed some socially distant food drives. We're creating some virtual volunteering opportunities. Uh, but when we think about the transportation network that we've created and growing, we're now bringing in more key players, um, more freight, more trucking. We saw the American Moving and Storage Association folded into the American Trucking Association. For, you know, like for many, like, hey, what does that mean for me? I'm excited. I am so excited. That just um, widened your base. It did, and it, and it was a direction we wanted to go. And I'll tell you what, last year we delivered more than 3.6 million pounds of food to food banks. This year we're on track to almost hit 5 million pounds of food. Now, over the course of 11 years, and I'm throwing a lot of numbers at you, I love data. Um, over the course of 11 years, our organization has delivered 20 million pounds of food to food banks, um, which feeds about 17 million people. We did a quarter of that almost this year. So... If that doesn't tell you how quickly we're scaling, but also how, how much the need has grown because we need to scale. Um, you know, I, I think there's gonna be a lot that we're, we're gonna be able to do. We've got a lot of innovative and creative ideas for, for 2021. Obviously we gotta get them funded. So <laughs> uh, hopefully organizing more fundraisers, hopefully some grants, hopefully individuals listening to this will be inspired by the work that we're doing. and might wanna make a donation on the website. Um, but we're trying to do things differently. We know that transportation is the linchpin. When you think about logistics, that is the thing that makes the world go. It's not sexy. When you look at a lot of other nonprofit organizations, a lot of them aren't dealing with these things. There are a few, um, like the, the uh, Logistics Aid Network, who does incredible work. I know another partner of IAM. But there's not a lot of them out there, even globally. So you know, my thought is why aren't, why isn't this charitable space more focused on the logistics of, of how to get uh, need or how to get relief to people in need? Because it's not just about getting food to a food bank or getting food from a food bank to a person. We all experienced it. You tried to go to the grocery store to buy toilet paper or hand sanitizer or chicken or eggs. You couldn't do it early in the pandemic. And we might be moving into that again this winter. Um, that was not, you know, that, that is a direct result of the supply chain breaking down, um, which is all about transportation and logistics. So 
for me, this stuff is really fascinating because if you can figure out a way to build a better supply chain, build a better process, build something that is sustainable and makes sense, again, creating those win-win-wins across uh, the board, then you're going to create a process that actually helps people and drives these businesses to, to further profits. And, and that should be our goal here when we think about solving problems. Um, you know, we are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, proud of that, um, but it'd be just as exciting for me if there was no move for hunger. We were just trying to figure out how to get all these companies to, to do this without even the charitable mindset. Like this should be just the mindset of us coming together as an industry to help our communities. Wow. That's just amazing though. So this year you've collected 5 million. We're not there yet, but we're, we're at 4.6 million as of today. And I mean, we've got, we've got hundreds of food drives going on this holiday season. So I, I would be surprised if we don't get pretty close to, to hitting the 5 million number. Yeah. And 20 million in 11 years. 20 million in 11 nuts. years. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, something I, I've noticed in my own community, I have a friend who's uh, got a son who's a Boy Scout or Cub Scout or whatever he is. And they had a, a little, they had a, a food drive and and my girlfriend said, hey, let's go. I don't know if you know this store called Aldi. It's a, I'm not trying to make a commercial yeah. for them, but uh, you know, Aldi, everything there is cheap. You know, I bought, I don't know how many cases of cans of beans and Vienna sausages or, you know, whatever for like 50 cents a can. And, um, you know, your money goes a long way there, you know, so that that's one thing I did. Um, but also I think one of the things that's always been interesting to me about your organization is that you found a niche. I mean, there are a lot of groups that do food drives and do, um, you know, collect food, you know, whether it's a church or synagogue or what have you you know, civic groups. Uh, but, and I've been involved in a lot of those too. But I mean, you found you found a different niche, you know, for how to collect this food that was what? mostly going wasted. And, and it honestly, I've never done that. I've never moved and thrown away food. <laughs> I was shocked when, when uh, I, I don't know if you told me about it or someone in our office did. And I said, well, people move and throw away food. I've never moved internationally, but you know, I've moved great distances. And yeah, and, you know, like if you're moving internationally, you can't take it with you. If you're moving a long distance, you're adding pounds. And it's not just about like, would you have thrown away the food? Because well, yes, many people will throw away food, but it's also about giving you the opportunity to do something good. Just like you're talking about all these food drives that you've participated in. If someone came into your home that was moving you and said, hey, and by the way, if you want to donate a few items, non-perishables for the food bank, here's a box. We'll bring it over there free of charge. You are probably the type of person that would say, you know what? I'm happy to donate some items for my pantry because I don't need all this. I'm going to go shopping when I get to my next destination anyway. Yeah, everywhere I go, there's a store. Everywhere, well, <laughs> not everywhere. Everywhere you go. Everywhere I go. <laughs> yeah, there, there are some pockets of this country um, yeah. where it's very hard to find a grocery store or even fresh food. Mm. Um, but I, I did want to touch on something that you just said, was, which was about the food drives. Um, and one of our goals when developing our food drives was we don't just want everything from your pantry. We want to focus on the food that food banks need the most, the healthy, nutritious food. So, for example, coming up for 
uh, Valentine's Day, we, we have our spread the love campaign where we ask for peanut butter and jelly. Um, peanut butter, as you know, high protein, shelf stable, typically a little bit more expensive, um, which is why so many people can't necessarily afford it, but it's needed. Um, Shark Week food drive, you know, happens in, in August where we collect canned tuna because kids like tuna fish just as much as sharks do. And again, thinking about the way to make these, make these campaigns fun, make them super focused, um, and provide the thing that so many are struggle with. You hold a food drive, you collect all this food. Now I got to lug it to the food bank? No, we're going to connect you with a local community partner, our moving partners, um, that will pick this food up and bring it to the food bank. And that creates that connection between, hey, if your, your Boy Scout troop just did this and then the local moving company picks it up, I can tell you all those Boy Scouts and their parents are gonna remember the mover that helped their kids. Oh yeah, that's the truth. So have you uh, connected with Discovery uh, about the Shark Week idea? I, <laughs> I have, um, so it's, it's not an official Shark Week. Yeah. yeah we're, uh, we, we, we got to work on that. So maybe I shouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to get you sued here. I'm trying to help you out. Listen, we're all trying to do a good thing. Um, but but it's, it's examples like that where we can have fun. And I mean, when we did that uh, event last year, there were people sending us videos of them collecting food, dressed as sharks with baby shark videos in the background. Like to me, if you get people that excited about a food drive, that's a home. <laughs> that's great baby shark week baby shark week All right we can get sued twice <laughs> <laughs> well, why just once <laughs> just once <laughs> well this was great so let's say i'm a mover and i, I hear this podcast because i want 11 million people to start listening to the podcast and hopefully some of them will be movers who want to get involved and aren't involved today um what do they do do they fill out a form on your site or do they need to call you yeah, for moving companies that want to get involved um, in the U.S. and Canada right now, um, visit moveforhunger.org, M-O-V-E-F-O-R, hunger.org, slash join. It's that easy. You can sign up right there, and then one of our colleagues will get back to you and provide you with all the materials, best practices, training, stickers for your boxes, decals for your trucks. We get you everything you need um, for, uh, for success, and then we'll also support you with food drives and food rescue opportunities as well. And the way it would work, just a, a basic overview, is if I'm a mover and I, so I do my offer to the, uh, to the people buying the moving services, say, hey, I'll come collect your food and take it to the food bank. Um, and then literally that's what I do. So maybe I, I pick up their box of food and I, I either deliver it immediately or else I maybe store it in the warehouse for- Yeah, it's all, like all non-perishable food. So it doesn't need to get there immediately. We usually yeah. say we're gonna build up five or 10 boxes, maybe over the course of a month, and then drop it off. Uh, the food bank gives you a weight receipt so we can track exactly how many pounds of food your company collects. And we can blast it out on social media because we like to brag about our moving partners. Um, we also provide a customized one sheet. We call it our program letter. So when you're providing your estimate materials, either digitally or physically, it's a nice kind of uh, colorful piece that you can talk about. Here's the need. Here's how our company helps. Here's what you can do. Um, your company's logo, your information is all over it. Uh, our goal is to make this really feel like it's part of the way you are doing your marketing, um, but you're, you're marketing the cause, right? You're marketing something good. And, and we like to think about it as another service your, your company can provide to the customer at no charge. 
That's great. Well, what other bits of wisdom do you have for me, Adam? I've run out of questions. <laughs> you run out of questions. That's good. That, 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 mean, that means we, we discussed a lot. Um, for those that want to learn more, um, you can visit the site, moveforhunger.org. You can make a donation. You can start a food drive. Um, for those that are listening internationally, which I know that audience exists here, um, if you want to just you know brainstorm about how to do something like this in your country, I'm always willing. I'm always willing to have the conversation with you. Um, I would love to bring Move for Hunger everywhere. Uh, practically, it's a lot harder to do, but that doesn't mean that you can't get started without officially having Move for Hunger there. Um, right. there there's some network somewhere, almost everywhere, it sounds like, that you could do something. Exactly, exactly. Um, and, you know, we, we just really uh, appreciate the, the support of, of the international moving community. You guys have been wonderful. Uh, and all I can really say is, you know, stay, stay healthy this, <laughs> this holiday season, wash your hands, do not gather. Um, I, di I did all the things that, that you're supposed to do and, you know, still got it. Um, fortunately, I'd say that the case is pretty mild, but I, I really just hope that everyone can just stay safe. Um, I, I, I miss seeing people. I miss seeing, I miss going to conventions. I miss getting up on stage and recognizing, um, you know, your members with, with awards and I hope we get back to a place where I can uh, give hugs and handshakes and high fives and do ridiculous things like like we used to um, and I think I think hopefully by the second half of 2021 we'll, we'll be able to get there again. Let's hope let's pray for that. All right well thanks for being with me today Adam it was a pleasure talking with you. Always a pleasure Carl. All right. I'm talking today with Steve Cox who is IAM's Director of Finance and this is again part of our series on Get to Know the IAM Staff. So Steve, thanks for being here with me today. Uh, thanks for having me, Carl. It's always a pleasure. So you're the Director of Finance. So what does that mean? What do you do at IAM? Uh, we are responsible for the development of all the, the IAM operating budgets, five and a half million dollar budget a year, uh, operating budgets as well as monitoring the budgets and the projections throughout the year, as well as the administrative functions of the association. So that includes, so what I know you as is the money man. So I got a problem with my money. Not that that ever happened. You came to the right guy, <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. So you do all the finance stuff and you're over, you even handled the, um, between you and Jamila, uh, benefits and stuff like that. from Benefits administration, 401k health insurance, life disability, whatever insurance policies there are. It's also the office administration, the um, office leases. You know, we just relocated. This year from uh, Richmond Highway to 1600 Duke Street in Old Town, Alexandria. Yeah. So would it be safe to say that even though Chuck's the president, that maybe you're the one who holds everything together? Chuck signs everything. <laughs> yeah. Some people like to refer to it as, as the finances, as the, as the backbone. I don't know. Whatever. You no, yeah. we just, uh, we, it's actually a group effort, though, Carl, because we, um, as you know, we put the budget together and it's distributed around people look at the different where we're putting our resources, what we're doing, where we're paying our members money actually, and for and so ultimately to their benefit. So we try to be very conscientious about doing that, but it is, it is a group effort. And Chuck's, Chuck, the finance, the finance budget and finance committee, if I can speak right today, as well as the, um, the board's executive committee goes through that every year with a fine tooth comb. Yeah, it's a nice jest. Of course, Chuck's, Chuck's in charge, but we like, to, we like to razz him a little bit. He has a good spirit about it. So hopefully he'll listen to this and laugh or not listen to it. But um, so 
Steve, tell me about your background. What was your first job? My first job out of college was uh, I was hired right out of college as a director of finance administration for a 501c, so 501c3 nonprofit, about a $3 million a year um, nonprofit. It was the Intelligent Transportation Society. It was a startup association. They did not, I was the first finance director they had. Um, and I'm glad they hired me because I learned a lot while I was there. I mean, hiring someone right out of college in that position sure took a lot of confidence. I'm, I'm glad they had that confidence in me, and, but it was, uh, it was a learning experience. And it, uh, it was a very good learning experience. Actually, I learned a lot of what to do on their behalf. So I'm sure the position was a huge learning experience by itself, but also for a startup. I mean, you're, you don't yeah, have a legacy. Like when you came to IAM, you had, I don't know, like what, 35 years of Bell Carrington's records and stuff. So yeah. like you knew how things were running, but if it's a startup, like you sort of had to paint the road all on your own. Well, yeah, you're, and, and again, right out of college, a lot of things that you know, I was learning by, by doing it, just kind of figuring it out. And it, it is, you're, you know, you're setting up, not just, you actually purchased the accounting software. They didn't even have that. It was just, they were just writing checks off of a typewriter back then. Again, I date myself here, but it was probably 26 years ago um, when, when this, when I started doing that, but it was, it, yeah, but it was picking out the software, establishing, uh, establishing the accounting uh, policies, practices, manuals, uh, just developing a budget. And you, and it's kind of, it was an interesting experience because you were developing a budget when obviously there wasn't one, but you had to figure out what it, what it was going to be. And again, where are you going to put your resources? And it, it just hopefully, you know, that job is to give everybody else a picture of what you're doing with, you know, with the assets and of the association and where you're putting those resources, the right. blueprint for it throughout the year. Yeah. That must have been a, quite an experience. That yeah, was very, very good experience. Very rewarding. Yeah. So Steve, I know you're a big reader. You're always telling me about the books you're reading. What are you reading now? Right now I'm reading two books. One is called The Pioneers by uh, McCullough. This is his last name, John McCullough. It's about the expansion westward, particularly through the Ohio Valley in the late 1700s. And it's fascinating how you read about all the politics involved with it, the same stuff as all you stuff is still going on today that was going on back then. And I'm also reading uh, Obama's new book, um, um, Promised Land, The Promised Land, which is very good, by the way, very good read. Yeah, I've, I've read some uh, reviews of it online. It seems like a, a very good book. Of course, Obama's, you know, he's, he's a great writer. He's a great speaker, so. He's, he's a great speaker and a very good writer. And I, I am a painfully slow reader. Um, Rachel will read a book and she'll read a book in three or four days. It'll take me a month to read it. Mm -hmm. I like to think that I retain some of the information, but sometimes <laughs> I do. Sometimes I don't. So I said, yeah. So what's one goal you have for 2021? And, and assuming that, that, you know, don't assume anything, you know, you know, maybe you assume that uh, we're going to be in the same situation of lockdown all year, or maybe you assume, hey, we're going to be all moving around in April. I mean, I go for 2021 for the association professionally? Well, for to, you. For me? Or I'm for getting me. married in 2021, Carl. You're what? I'm getting married in 2021. Really? What, what date are you getting married again? October 2021. October 20. Uh, I, I remember that date. I'll remember. Is that the annual meeting next year in Orlando? It's right before the annual meeting. I need to pull up the calendar, but it is in October. I think it's October 12th. Uh, 
Yeah, I remember these things. Yeah, not everyone does. <laughs> well, you're invited, Carl. So just make sure I get there if you would. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> so you're getting married in 2021. Where are y'all getting married? In Old Town, Manassas, Virginia. Oh, a, right by your home. Historic. I'm sorry? Right by your home. Right as walking distance from our home. It's um old historic building in town and it's uh it's a very nice location i think it'll I think it'll go really well you have a fiance picked out right i have a fiance picked out as okay. long as she hangs out this should go off without a without a, without a glitch we'll see. okay good i feel confident she'll show up i think <laughs> and i feel confident she knows exactly the date too all right good we'll just have to keep getting you there every day until it works out i walk by every day at noon just to make sure it's you know, make sure yeah. i'm not missing anything so what would you say is your superpower strength? Superpower strength? Oh, gosh, Carl. Um, X-ray vision. X-ray vision. Is that sort of uh, tied into your job there where you can look at a stack of financial reports and make head and tail out of them? We'll go with that. Yeah, that works. Yeah. I mean, it does take a lot. I know, I know a lot of people can learn that sort of uh, task and that sort of ability, but it really does take, I think, a special set of eyes to go through things like that sometimes. It, you know, it's like anything you do for 27 years, you, start, you know, you figure it out, but it's, um, and I've worked for several different associations and done the same in the same capacity. We're going in and setting up systems too. And it's, it can be really easy. It can also be very difficult. I've been to places to establish the financial systems and you know, it's not the people had been there had been there for a while, but absolutely no ownership of what had been going on. And when you're going back and trying to recreate a financial picture of what they had what they had done with their uh, expenses for that year, and nobody knows how to classify things, it, it it's makes it very hard. That was not the experience here. Bell had done a great job here, so it was easy to just to more or less yeah. just take the ball and run with it. So that was not the case here, but it. Um, yeah, the uh, you know financial reports they're they're so important you know for people to be able to understand as you know, and we're talking about that in uh, the DAB, uh, the the domestic asset based group that we're sort of spinning up, uh, and you know one of the members wrote an article about here's how you read a and I can't remember which you know which types of reports he mentioned but here's how you read some basic financial reports. And something I've noticed dealing with people in small business over the years, or even big business for that matter, is, you know, you can look at these reports and say, oh, yeah, I made money. I made money this month. And you think that's good, right? But, but you know, balancing it and, and really understanding and putting it in perspective, you know, having made money and or having made enough money to get by isn't really always a positive thing. You know, you have to use these to inform other decisions and and look at everything together yeah you do it's because if a financial statement is, is a snapshot of one given uh, typically at the end of a month's you know uh, point in time uh, there, and there's several documents with, within your typical set of financial statements you can look at a profit loss statement it can show you making all the money you, know, you, you made millions of dollars up, for the, up till that date of, of that year uh, end of that month of that year at least but you have a bigger picture which is you know your revenues and expenses for the entire year like for IAM we have cash flow that comes in at certain times of the year more than others and you, you manage that throughout the year 
So if you have, you know, if you have somebody who can walk you through those financial statements and tell you, it, it a lot of the times the challenge in doing this is transferring the information from what's on paper because it's a lot of numbers that can be very confusing for people, and sometimes they're sometimes they're very complicated. Sometimes they're not, but sometimes they are very complicated. But be able to walk people through those and you know not just tell them do the math for them, but you know tell them where they are for that current financial uh, you know, day and time and where you anticipate that being for the end of the year. Here at IAM, we do a budget on a calendar year. A budget Finance Committee gets financial statements every quarter. We go over that. Uh, we just had a Budget Finance Committee meeting two weeks ago, and you know, we hand out the standard financial statements. We go over that, but more importantly is you, you, know, you should be able to give you know, your, your, your staff, your, you know, your executive committee, your, your governance, the confidence that what you're giving them is, is accurate and timely. And you can walk them through and say, this is where we project we'll be at the end of the year, you know, good or bad for this reason, for that reason, and just you know, show them an accurate and timely picture of where those resources are going. Yeah. So we're going to change, uh, take take a little turn here, Steve. I asked oh. you, this is a part of the uh, the the interview where you, we play Stump the Chump, where I asked you to come up with two truths and a lie about yourself. That makes and, you the chump, right? <laughs> that makes me the chump. Okay, yeah, we'll see. Right. yeah, unless I unless I guess right, you know. Right. So so give me give me a couple of truths and a lie about yourself, and I'll, I'll tell you if I can figure it out. Two truths and a lie, right? Yeah. All right. Um, I was born and raised right here in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, my grandfather was a Southern Baptist minister, and I have uh, I love seafood, particularly shellfish seafood. Now, you tell me, Carl, did I stump the chunk? I don't think you did. Damn it. Uh, so let me walk through, and don't correct me if I'm getting something wrong. So I'm going to walk you through my reasoning here. Okay. I know your grandfather was a Southern Baptist minister because we'd driven by that church before. And uh, you're already shaking your head. What are you doing? Is that not true? I'm not telling you now. You tell me. All right. Well, well. So he was a he was a minister, preacher, pastor. I don't know what you call him, uh, but I remember you saying something like that. It could be that you've been lying to me for four years now. I don't know. Okay. Or maybe I just didn't really listen. Uh, My name could not even be Steve. But... <laughs> I know you're born in the Alexandria area, and I don't know if you were born in Alexandria. I would guess that you were probably born down in um, Mount Vernon Hospital. But don't correct me yet. And I don't think you really love seafood. That is, so to me, I'm a little stumped here uh, because I think you were, I know you grew up in this area in Alexandria, but uh, I don't know that you actually were born here or grew up in Alexandria, but you probably had an Alexandria address. So I'm gonna go with the third one. I don't think you love seafood. You're exactly right. I couldn't fool you. I could not. I, I have no interest in seafood. Yeah. Being born and raised in Alexandria, we didn't spend a lot of time, you know, on on the bay. Uh, so we didn't. Right. Yeah. Just uh, never have a lot of. Never liked the texture of it. Yeah. I, same here. You know, I, it's a long drive over to Maryland. You had to yeah. get those crab cakes. You know, why would you ever do that? Yeah, by the By the time I got to be of age, where I could drive out there, and I did a lot. Uh, I would be the guy who was sitting around a bunch of people eating a bushel of crabs and I had a steak and cheese. So. 
Yeah, that's like the my dad and I get together. Well, we didn't this year, but every year for a a crab feast, and I'll have I'm good for like one or two of them. Uh, but yeah, but then I'm like, yeah, just give me a burger and a beer, I'll be fine. Seems like a, an awful lot of work for a not much of a reward. Yeah, that's what uh, my brother and I would call a long run for a short slide. There you go. That's yeah. it. Well, Steve, uh, I do really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me, and uh, we'll. I guess I'll see you probably in five minutes when I go refill my teacup. All right. Thanks, Carl. It's always a pleasure. Okay. You take care. Take care. I asked the staff of IAM to record some New Year's wishes. And I'll start out because I'm the producer here and I can do that. It's just a luxury I have. My wish for 2021 is to be able to fly. And I don't just mean, you know, having a magical ability to fly or being having been born with wings or something like that. Although that, that would be nice too. What I mean is being able to travel again, being able to see friends and family, give hugs and handshakes and high fives like Adam Lowy referred to earlier. It'll be so great to see you in person. And I hope that next year in Orlando, we can do that. I really hope for an end to the COVID. More than anything, I hope for peace. I hope for love for everyone. And let's see what the other people, the other staff members have to say. Hi, this is Chuck White, president at IEM. As I think about my New Year's wishes, the only thing that I can really think of is for the complete eradication of the COVID-19. And, and obviously for, the, uh, for that to happen, the, the complete efficacy for the vaccine that we are distributing now. And, and I hope this is to happen worldwide. Uh, if, the, if those things were to happen, then anything else I could hope for will happen uh, in 2021, no question about it. So uh, happy new year to all and uh, best wishes. Thank you. Hi, everyone. This is Angela. My hope for 2021 is obviously a COVID vaccine that works so that everyone can stay healthy and protected. We will definitely be celebrating the end of 2020 in my house. Looking forward to 2021 and all that it will bring. Happy New Year, everyone. Hi, everyone. This is Julia. And first and foremost for the new year, I hope that everyone remains safe and sane as we continue to navigate through the pandemic. For me personally, my big wish heading into 2021 is to have the opportunity to visit with my mom and brother. I hope this wish does not upset my other family members, but these two specifically I haven't seen in well over a year, and I miss them a great deal. Hi, this is Jamila. I just want to wish everyone a happy new year, a prosperous new year, and a happy holiday. If you ever need anything, you know where you can find me. I hope that everyone has a great new year and look forward to helping more IAM members in 2021. This is Dan Bradley, IAM's Director of Government and Military Relations. Just wanted to wish you and your family a Merry Christmas, a Happy Holidays, and a Happy New Year. Here's to putting 2020 behind us and to everyone having a spectacular 2021. Thanks to all of our members for helping make IAM a great worldwide association 
And my thanks also for the many volunteers who serve IEM membership on various committees and working groups. I appreciate your time and all you do. See you in 2021. We want to hear from you. You can leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash IAMovers slash message. I will also put the link in the show notes so you can click on it right there. Please subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Spotify. Thank you for listening to the IAM Podcast. If there's ever anything you need from IAM, you can contact us at membership at iamovers.org or contact us by going to the Contact Us page on the IAM website at iamovers.org. Thank you for joining us, and we will talk to you next time.